welcome back to the Voice of the Child podcast. The podcast today looks at forced adoption, a controversial policy used in a minority of countries which allows local authorities to remove children deemed to be at risk of harm from parents without parental consent. This policy is active in the UK, despite growing research which shows that the practice affects children's development and re-traumatizes families. My guest today is Moksha, a mum who's experienced forced or non-consensual adoption in the UK family courts. She's also a victim of forced marriage in her homeland and sex trafficking in several countries, having fled to London in 2014 to escape being exploited. Once in London, she applied for asylum on trafficking grounds, and in 2015, her claim was accepted. Two years later, in 2017, her four-year-old daughter, who'd been cared for by her grandmother in her home country, joined her in London. Unfamiliar with life in England, Moksha reached out to social services for help and support with her mental health and domestically abusive partner, and within three months, her daughter was taken into foster care. In that same year, Moksha gave birth to her son, who was removed by social services within days of being born. Upset at losing her children, Moksha lashed out at social workers and emails to her council, and she was banned from having any contact with her daughter for a year. In 2018, contact between her and her daughter was reinstated, but a few days later at a final hearing, placement orders for the adoption of her children were granted by the judge. She never got to say goodbye. Distraught at losing her children again, this time to forced adoption, she sent more angry emails to social workers and despite apologising for her outburst shortly afterwards, the apology was never acknowledged. Moksha's tried to appeal the adoption orders on the grounds that procedure in her case was not followed and that several psychological assessments from leading independent psychologists confirming that she was fit to look after her children were all ignored by the court. Her requests to appeal have all been denied. Moksha is a pseudonym chosen by the mum in this podcast. Moksha, can you talk a little bit about what happened when you approached social services and what it was that you asked them for help with? I requested them for support because my daughter was coming from a foreign country. Um, so I requested them to help me uh, so that my daughter can integrate in Great Britain because everything was different um, from the school system to how the children are parented in Britain because we don't even have trams where I come from. Uh, we don't have trolleys, uh, we don't have boogies, we don't have things like that. So I didn't know whether I was supposed to put my child on the back, like how we do it back home, or I was supposed to carry on using the modern, civilized, Western way of parenting. So I went to them and requested them for support, but everything turned into a case because my daughter didn't want to stay in the house. When I closed the door, she wanted to play outside, like how it's done where I come from. So all the time I would close the door, my daughter would scream because my grandmother, where we come from, the houses are always left open. Uh, when you come in, you don't lock the door. So, um, and the children remain safe still because that's how children are parented in a community kind of community system. So uh, when, we came, when I came here, my daughter was Every time I would walk on the street, um, she would see other children and she would go up to them. Uh, the social, the social services people thought that she was not well or she was seeking attention. But the children, uh, where I come from, children play together a lot. Um, 
they they bond like that so we you don't have we don't have many restrictions to how we parent our children um so i wanted support from that aspect on what i'm supposed to do because it's not that i wasn't a good enough parent but the system was completely different from me as an immigrant and i didn't want to kind of make mistakes or leave my ch- to keep my child away from other people and i didn't know how the school system works as well because our school system is completely different from here so uh, those are among the reasons why i went to social services to help me especially with to learn the western way of parenting and to learn more about the school system and to learn how to uh, kind of speak to my daughter to understand and I'd kept uh, I'd left her from 2012 um now this was 2017 when she reunited with me so I needed to kind of improve our bonding from a professional aspect um I wanted some professional perspective on how I can improve bonding attachment but also not neglecting our cultural aspects at the same time. So what happened when you contacted social services? So when I contacted social services, they started talking about uh, something called a toxic trio. So they asked me whether I, was, I, I had mental health problems, whether I was using drugs and alcohol, and whether I was in a domestic abusive relationship. So among those three, obviously, as an immigrant who, who had come from all sorts of backgrounds, I obviously had suffered from mental health, had suffered from trauma, and I had, I told the social worker, yes, I was involved in trafficking, and I was also, I came here as an immigrant, and uh, so uh, I fell into the category of the toxic trio, because that's the trap that they were looking for. They were looking for domestic violence or abuse, um, drugs and alcohol, and uh, uh, mental health. So I don't abuse alcohol and drugs, but my mental health was not good and my relationship wasn't good. So they carried on to go to, to take me to court to take the child. Did they not offer you any support in between seeing you and arranging court hearings? Not at all. Not at all. The only thing they told me was to sup- to separate from the man I was going out with at the time. That was the kind of support they gave me. So I separated, I, I left him and I went to a, a women's refuge, but still they refused to give me back my baby and I was at that time pregnant. So I was struggling to cope with the pregnancy and going to university and then looking after my, my baby. And why did they refuse you contact with your daughter for 12 months? Uh, because I sent emails to the court uh, because I was upset. And uh, I was very upset because they had removed my son at birth. At, um, after eight days, he was breastfeeding. And they said um, he was at risk of future harm. So your um, angry reaction was a, a reaction to you being separated from your children? Yes. Um, so I sent those emails. I was upset and I didn't know who to turn to or who to speak to. And I, I later apologised because my emails were, were unthoughtful and insensitive and I really regret my actions. But I later apologised to, to the judge and to the court, but my apology wasn't accepted. And after the orders were made, did you try to appeal the, the placement orders at all? 
I did, yes, I, I did appeal the placement orders, but the appeal was refused. Uh, that because of domestic violence, even though I'd already separated from uh, the man, I had already separated. I, I live in a different area. It's like three hours away from where he lives, but they still um, refused to give me the children back. And how did these social workers treat you during the, the life of your case? Oh, it, it was... Uh, it was very demeaning. Yeah, it, it was very difficult. Yes, it was very difficult because my my background is very oblique from different uh, um, the kind of people they deal with. My background was very difficult when you tell a social worker that you've ever been trafficked they immediately label you as a sex worker um they stigmatize you to be not fit enough to be a parent because you're going to get your child to be used or something like that so they think um they worry like if you've been in trafficking then it means your child is going to be trafficked as well so they they have the typical stereotypes of a sex worker and a, a trafficked woman they have their own stereotypes and what they expect and what they think. Uh, you can't be a good parent because you've been involved in all these things, but they don't understand that we have different visions as well. Did you try to demonstrate to them that your child was not at risk from trafficking? Um, yes, I did, because um, I wasn't involved in any... Um, um, any sort of trafficking in Britain, so I, I, they knew that there wasn't any. They knew there wasn't any risk of trafficking. There wasn't at all, because the people who trafficked me weren't in Great Britain. They were in different countries. And you obviously explained to social services that you had some mental health concerns that you were hoping to get some support for. How did they respond to that? Um, the typical stigmatizing of. Uh, um, like you have mental health problems, you can't cope, you're a terrible mom and uh, there's no point of us giving you back the children. So it's basically rubber, rubber stamping, the whole process is rubber stamping because it was literally a complete waste of time because they've already made up their decision that they're going to take these children because you've been trafficked and you have mental health problems you're dealing with. Even though the psychologist who had treated me for a year and a half told them that I wasn't a risk and uh, I was, she didn't, she, she didn't assess me to be a risk at all. Even though there were so many doctors who were saying that I wasn't a risk to my children or to myself or to anyone in the community. So during that process, social services are required by law to look to see if there are any natural relatives or birth family that children can stay with um, whilst the parents are trying to organise their lives. What efforts did social workers make in that respect? Oh my God. Um, they called my mum. Uh, she's back at home uh, for 30 minutes and they said she wasn't a good parent, but she had parented my daughter for four years and she looks after so many children and even so many orphans uh, because my country has so many problems with uh, children whose parents die of certain diseases. So my mom has like 
looks after so many orphans um, up to now. So they said she wasn't a good parent when they spoke to her over the phone and they ruled her out to be n not a good um not a good um candidate to look after my my children did they explain to you why she was ruled out well they said the country where i come from suffers from hiv and aids and they said um according to unicef uh, children uh these children cannot grow up in a country like that uh, because of the risks that are there. So I wrote an email back to the social worker saying, but even in Great Britain, you have, you know, uh, Dr. Shipman who killed many people. You have loads of pedophiles in this country. You have murderers and all sorts. So it became, it lost, uh, the whole process lost meaning because it became like indirect racism in a way. And it was very disgusting to read the reports. Um. At one point, you had several different independent witnesses who uh, had psychologically assessed you after the initial assessment that had been carried out by the court-appointed psychiatrist. And in those reports, I understand that your mental health uh, had shown signs of improvement and all of the experts, except for the court-ordered expert, were of the view that you were able to parent your children. What happened to those expert witness reports? Uh, they are all like experts from their fields. They came. They turned up at court. Uh, they were refused uh, to come into court because the judge refused their opinion, and she was very dismissive. So their opinions and views weren't heard. Uh, the judge only accepted the one the the psychologist, the social workers had staged up uh, to make a report on me who was sat with me for only three hours and ruled out that I wasn't able to look after my children. But then these uh, other consultants and psychologists had seen me for several sessions, more than 20 times or more than uh, 15 times plus. But uh, the judge refused their opinions. But all of them concluded that I was stable enough and I was capable of looking after my children. So normally in these cases, families qualify for legal aid. What happened to your case? Well, I went to different uh, firms um, in London and they told me that uh, my case had no merit. So that means uh, legal aid was no means, no, no means, no merit uh, test. So that I, could, I didn't meet the merit, um, the merit aspect of things. So um, they asked me that I had to pay uh, privately and I didn't have enough money. That meant I had to go back to my ex-partner to request for funds so he could pay. So he paid out a lot of money to these firms and they didn't do much at all. Thousands and thousands of pounds were paid to different barristers in, in Britain and nothing was done. So your only option was to go back to your abusive partner and ask for financial assistance, is that right? That is it, yes, that's correct. And were the lawyers who were working on your case aware of where the money was coming from? They were, certainly, they were. They were, because um, they knew all the background of the case, they had read the chronology of things, they, they knew exactly what had gone on, they knew everything, but they, they, they said that um, the, the funding had to be privately and the money had... The money had to come from wherever it came from to, 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 to get them paid. Were you ever unrepresented at any point in your case? 
yes, I was unrepresented, but I, I represented myself because I was frustrated and I didn't know who to turn to, whether I could trust the lawyers or not, who were representing me at the time. Then I consulted a, a man in South France who told me, uh, who misled me as well, telling me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Um, I shouldn't trust uh, in lawyers, so that's what happened with that. And it wasn't very good because I was representing myself when I wasn't well. So um, generally speaking, if you are unrepresented in the courts, there are guidelines that have been published, which mean that judges in the case and legal professionals who are working even on the other side or for the other side have to help a litigant in person. Were you given any help during the life of your case when you were unrepresented? Um, the judge tried to give me some help uh, during the case. Uh, she tried to explain the words to me, like the legal terminologies that were difficult to understand. She did try to, to give me uh, support during the the court, but even when I told her I was unable to go carry on, she insisted that the proceedings should go ahead because the time for the children was against, um, was against us. So she had to make a decision. How did you feel that lack of representation affected your rights? It affected my my rights because the judge herself knew that I had suffered from trauma, trauma that I wasn't just imposing on myself, but was very evidential even in her, even in her papers. So for me to be left to represent myself um, was not a good idea um, because I, I sometimes I was I would get emotional and get upset. Because it's not like you're representing someone else's children, they're my children. So that I don't think that was fair at all. Because they themselves had a psychological report saying that this person was mentally unwell and unfit. Then at the same time they want you to carry on representing yourself. So it was a bit of a contradiction and a two-edged sword in that way. Because they're the, they're the, the social services saying that, uh, that we have a doctor who is saying you're unfit, you're unwell, but then they want you to represent yourself in the same, in the same way, so I didn't understand that bit at all. Did you get to say goodbye to your children? Not at all. Um, the, uh, my daughter doesn't know what's going on because my daughter is traumatised. She was born in a different country. She came here... Um, in 2017, after four years of living in a different continent, she speaks different languages, and every time we would try to speak our language, they would refuse us, saying that they need to hear what we are saying. So that confused my daughter a lot because she doesn't know what to do. They, so it was very difficult for for my daughter and my son too, because he was born in. In a diff, in, in, immediately he was removed and then he sees me as a different person all the time I see him. How has this left you feeling? It's very difficult but we carry on. Um, yeah, we carry on and it's difficult because the family courts, no one can come in to sit in to listen and no, the, everything is, is done in secrecy, so you can't even publish everything. I would love to publish my case in the papers. 
and all put it in the book, but I can't because they can arrest me, so I'm scared. If you could give one message to the family courts, what would it be? Um, to try to understand, um, to, to try to understand our circumstances as parents, and to give us more support, uh, rather than tearing us apart. Uh, because my children were also not put in the same placement; they were still separated. So that's difficult because the pa- the families are being torn apart every single time. Social services, I don't know, maybe other local authorities, they're doing a better job, but in my case, they just ripped us apart. (laughs) 